it starts with the patients. So it's uh, patient-centered. Uh, so we, we look at what they have and we try to understand why patients are having the symptoms they're having. Did you know that genetics play a huge part in many epilepsies? Well, this week, learn from Alan Bayer from the Philadelphia or Danish Epilepsy Centre about why it is so important to research epilepsy genetics and why he has done so full time for the past three years. We discuss the value of research and clinical care together for those with epilepsy and often their families and how, when combined, they play a massive part in improving people's quality of life. I'm a medical doctor. I work with children uh, and uh, specialized in uh, you know, brain-related disorders. I've been doing my PhD for the past three years about genetic epilepsies. Um, I wasn't expecting to do that three before that and three years before that, but because I've always been interested in especially rare disorders, like any rare genetic disorder, syndromes, and so on. But um, then three years ago, I was so lucky to be offered uh, this PhD uh, in the, here at the Danish Epilepsy Center. So it was like, yes, please, thank you. Um, and now I'm here. And tell us about the relief of being done with the PhD. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's like becoming, you know, um, graduating. Um, at the same time, you've been looking and you've been so pumped um, and, and you're so excited and you're so relieved. And then there is this, this emptiness within you uh, at the same time. So it's like, what, what now? What, what do I use my time for now? And um, so it's, it's awesome. And at the same time, it's like a little bit empty. It sounds like a bit like when people retire. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an awful, awful issue to have. And I'm sure that given your passion for the epilepsies, you will, and, and having people like me come up to you straight away, <laughs> you will have no problem in finding things to do. We were also talking about, um, before we started recording, about being a paediatric neurologist versus a researcher. Now, I know you said that you've been a researcher for three years full time. Are you going to be spending more time being a, a you know, a, a neurologist for the children or what, how will that work? So the plan is definitely to go back to being like part time, uh, res uh, part time researcher um, and part time clinician who is taking care of these children. Um, and both neurological uh, disorders of any kind. I mean, if it's going to be epilepsy in the future, which it probably will, then I'll be happy about that. But I just love working with children and families. Um, that's why I became a pediatrician. The research part is, I'm, I, I'm falling in love with it. And and I want it to be a, like a part of my, my life. Um, and the kind of research um, we're doing, or I'm doing is like what we call translational medicine. So it's, it's, we, it's, it starts with the patients. So it's uh, patient-centered. Uh, so we, we look at what they have and we try to understand why patients are having the symptoms they're having. So, so and, and, and going into the lab and trying to study if they have a genetic disorder, trying to study what the gene is actually doing um, and, and try to get back to the families with the best possible treatment, you know, once we understand what the gene is doing. Um, so we can, in the end, give them, you know, the best possible treatment. In your research, like, how much time did you spend with patients and families versus 
using a, the computer or whatever? I would say it's like 50-50 uh, because, because um, a lot of the patients uh, that were uh, in the studies, uh, of course, had to be counseled um, and talked to and, 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 and we were constantly getting in contact with them and uh, asking how they were doing and, and once we found something that could be changed, like if you had a patient with with um, driveway syndrome, for example, um, then we could go back and say, well, you need to avoid this drug, maybe you should start on that drug and then we would follow up on them and hear you know, how they were doing, if the seizures had become fewer. So there, it was constant a balance between working in front of the computer uh, with, uh, with with data and, and being in contact with the families. And sometimes it was more family oriented and other times it was more like you're looking at looking at data from the patients and their files. Uh, this is a stereotype, but in, in the olden days, which is not like that long ago, people, <laughs> people thought that and tell us how accurate this is. We're thought that researchers, scientists, would just be in a lab with a test tube and um, they would not really spend any time with families or patients at all. It was all about experiments and then they would pass on the results, hoping that there are some positive results to the doctors, the nurses, the clinicians as a whole. Um, how accurate would you say that was and how have things changed? I think that kind of research still happens where it's, you know, it's in a lab and someone is standing there working primarily with cells and, and animals, which I still think is really important. This kind of basic research is, is the fundament of doing sort of the translational medicine we do. So we, we start with the patient, we look at the patient, we try to study their symptoms, but we're definitely also dependent on, on, on uh, you know, researchers um, uh, that are able to do the basic research as well to, to, to try to understand what is what is the cause of the patient's disorder. So I think um, that's important. Um, but I, I think both has to happen. Like the future needs to integrate both. So you're do, both doing like basic research and integrating the clinical part as well. Um, so I think that's at least where we should be heading. And do you think we're becoming more involved with patients? like spending more time with them than perhaps we used to? Well, the kind of research we do, I can speak from my perspective, is patient-orientated. And I have no idea how we could do the research we're doing without a patient. We talked about before, I told you that, uh, you know, you can have the philosophical thoughts about who is the most important segment of an epilepsy of, of a hospital is it the doctors and the nurses or the people that are cleaning the hospital i think it's the patients that are the most important uh, because without them there wouldn't be a justification to have a hospital so i think any research should if possible be centered um in patients so that should be the root of our research you're touching my heart um <laughs> Give us a couple of examples of what you discovered in your three years as it, um, as a PhD student. Uh, no doubt you did. You've made discoveries before, and will do from now on. But what did you discover that was really pretty cool? You know, during your PhD. Basically, um, what we wanted to find out was if we look at you know these poor children that have very early onset epilepsies and that are really you know continuing to seizure despite getting many different uh, drugs if you look at those um, 
especially you know those that do not have an acquired brain damage. So the the, the ones that we're expecting to have something genetic. Um, how many of those have a monogenetic cause, like one gene that is defective and then explaining older symptoms? So we wanted to see it, uh, at, a, at a specialized epilepsy center how often uh, were monogenetic epilepsies occurring. And then the cool thing was how often can we, you know, once we find the gene that is defective, how often can we tailor the treatment based on that knowledge? And the coolest thing, which I think we found out, which has only been like described once before, was what does it mean for the families and for the patients? I mean, once we you know, adjust the medication based on the gene, how often do patients become seizure-free? And if not seizure-free, how often do they at least have a reduction in burden of seizures? And we found that monogenetic epilepsies are quite common. In, like, in, a, in a specialized epilepsy center. So half of the patients that we sequenced, that we tested genetically, had a monogenetic diagnosis, like two lines under and said, that's the explanation. So it was quite common. And in, in, in those that were genetically tested then, and, and had a diagnosis, then half of those, so it's like one out of every four child with a monogenetic disorder, we could adjust the medication. Now, sometimes we could make big adjustments. Other times we could only adjust it a little bit. Like, for example, if you have Dravet syndrome, for example, we could, for example, say, yeah, try the new drug, fenfluamine, or if you have tuberculosis sclerosis, then try evolimus, for example. I mean, there are all sorts of things we could do. But the coolest thing was that we found that these adjustments were often helpful, at least in, in reduction, reducing the seizure burden. But we still need to, you know, be realistic in terms of expectations because only few became seizure free. So the, the treatments we're having currently are only rarely helping to reach seizure freedom. But they're often, you know, at least giving you at least 50% effect on burden of seizures, like removing half of the seizure burden. And how would you say that, because we've just, uh, well, you've just spoken about seizures and the burden of seizures. What about the other, what about the comorbidities in addition? Because I know often if people have reduction in seizures or, you know, or seizure frequency or severity, that can have a positive impact on other parts of the patient's life. Have you been measuring that as well? No, we haven't measured this, but this is definitely something that we're advocating too, because we think we think that when when you the, the, the treatment that we're looking for need to not only affect seizures, but they also need to target you know all these comorbidities that you're facing, like behavioral problems, cognitive problems, movement disorders, um, and so on. So we didn't measure on this because. That was then, you know, it was all a matter of time. But I think definitely it, it should be measured. And also plus for, for new drugs that are coming on the market, this is, for example, for gene therapy, this could be some of the endpoints, some of the things that one is looking at. So not only how many seizures do you have and how often do you give rescue medication, but also, you know, how, what's happening to your to your alertness and, and what is happening to your mood and, and, and so on. So these are, of course, more tricky to measure because it's not just a matter of 
figured yes or no, um, but 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 it could definitely be measured. It should be some of those that uh, so those things that are looked at. So then, given you think that those things are important, influence your future work? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, um, we do have uh, disorders uh, that we're trying to you know sort of treat um, with 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 with. You know, end of one trials where we have like a single patient that we're treating with a new drug and repurposing things, um, and we're we are definitely trying to look at you know um, how IQ develops uh, or is before the treatment and then how it develops over like being treated in a year or how alertness or like are these autistic features or ADHD. So we're, we're having them uh, in our research, including them in our research. Thank you very much for your time today, Alan. Welcome. To learn more about Alan, make sure that you check him out at toryrobinson.com slash epilepsy hyphen sparks hyphen insights, where you can find out more about him and links to his great work. Also, if you did enjoy the episode, please share it with your friends, family and colleagues, because it really helps us get the messages about the epilepsies out to the masses. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.